We'll be back in Ecclesiastes this morning, and if you've been wondering why on earth I chose Ecclesiastes, uh, I've been wondering the same thing myself. <laughs> it's a really difficult book, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, I've, been, I've been learning a lot, and uh, I know that we'll learn a lot, and, and we'll be drawn closer to the Lord through our, our study. Um, so, uh, uh, continuing in chapter 1, uh, verses 4 to 11. So, in the book series I mentioned last week, which was the Hitchhiker's Guide to the, the Galaxy, the answer to the great question of life, the universe, and everything was, does anybody remember the answer? 42. 42. <laughs> so, that was given by the supercomputer called Deep Thought. And it's not exactly what the people were looking for. Uh, it, it turns out that someone in the crowd, though, said, well, if 42 is the answer, well, what's the question? And you know, so there was a lot of head-scratching going on. Uh, so they, they asked Deep Thought, what's the question? Well, Deep Thought didn't know. <laughs> he didn't know. He, uh, but he offered to help design an even more powerful computer uh, that could figure that out. The problem was it would take 10 million years for this computer to come up with the answer. And this computer in the book, now remember, this is science fiction, uh, the computer in the book turns out to be the planet Earth. Okay, now, to be continued. Uh, so remember, it's science fiction. You have to use your imagination. So also last week, we noted that the preacher, who we determined was Solomon, uh, has the opposite issue. He has plenty of questions. Uh, he has big questions, and, and he's searching for answers. And, and we ended with the question that actually begins the preacher's quest uh, for meaning in this life, and, and that's verse 3. What does man gain uh, by all the toil at which he gains under the sun? You know, what, what's the point? And I, I mentioned that the thought here uh, with gain has to do with profit, okay? What is the profit of it all uh, to the preacher? In other words, uh, the Hebrew uh, uh, um, rendition of that concept is, is that which is left over, okay? So after the preacher has exhausted the joy and the pleasure and the sorrow and pain from his life experiences. He, he wants to know what's, what's left over. You know, what endures? Uh, what, what will remain that can continue to feed this hunger that he has, uh, for, for this hunger for satisfaction and, and meaning in life? And, and is, isn't that the real question, the one we're either asking now or, or we've asked in the past? Um, is there anything that will minister to my need in, in such a way as to meet that need so that I don't have to look any further? Isn't there anything or anyone who can meet all of my needs uh, to such a degree that I actually don't have any more needs at all? whether it's love or, or significance or, or companionship or, or food or shelter or work, you know, et cetera, and all of the above. Those are all the needs that we have. And that's the question. That's the question that the preacher will seek to answer throughout th this book, throughout Ecclesiastes. And, and he'll search, as, as we'll see, he'll search down many different avenues. Um, the avenues that are familiar probably to, to all of us. 
uh, avenues such as wisdom and pleasure and power, uh, possessions, uh, relationships, wealth. He, he's going to search down all those avenues looking for meaning in life. Um, but before the preacher begins a search, before he describes his methods and, and gets to his narrative, uh, his description of the search, he introduces his search with a poem. And, and that's, that's 4 through 11 here. Uh, at least in, in most Bible versions, it, it's laid out as a poem. So I'll begin again in, in verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank You for Your Word, and uh, we look forward to how You will speak to us through this book, Lord. Uh, it seems to me it's very appropriate for our, our day and age, Lord, where there's so many uh, things uh, pulling at us, Lord, uh, so many things that we can look to for answers, Lord, but we know that the answers are found in You, found in faith in Your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, remind us of that this morning, and we thank You, and we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Now, I don't know much about pro poetry, but I do know that poetry can sometimes be very difficult to read. Uh, poetry is probably the most personal and intimate form of, of expressing oneself through writing. And, and with much poetry, there doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason. Okay. There, 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 there doesn't seem to be any rules. Uh, and, and because of the personal nature of, of poetry, uh, often the only person who truly knows the meaning behind the poem or a line in poem is the writer. And, and, and I mention this uh, because there's a lot of disagreement over uh, this section uh, of Ecclesiastes. Well, Ecclesiastes in general is a lot of disagreement, but, but this poem in particular. And in verse 4, the preacher begins the poem with an observation intended to compare humanity uh, with creation. Where he says, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. So the, the theme here is that nothing seems to change. 
Uh, verse 9, he says, there is nothing new under the sun, you know, echoing that, that same sentiment. So even as the generations come and the generations go, the earth seems to go on forever. And, and as he'll graphically point out later on, the, the preacher observes that even as each generation of people replaces the next generation of people, the human condition never changes. Uh, the human condition, the futility, the meaninglessness is as consistent and steadfast and, and predictable as the earth itself, which has been around forever. I think that's, that's the point he's trying to get across. And in, in verses uh, 5 through 7, the preacher has three examples of this from nature. The predictability of the sun, predictability of the wind, and, and the water. Verse 5, the sun rises, the sun goes down, it hastens to the place where it rises again. So uh, obviously the preacher is referring to the constancy of the, the sun. It does the same thing day after day, week after week, year after year. It never changes. Uh, and, and the word hastens uh, in the ESV, uh, it uses the word hastens. Uh, or hurries. It, it, it's, the root word is panting, uh, as in panting for water or, or panting after a, a long race. There's a weariness to it, he's saying. And, and this is pretty interesting because Paul uses the same word in Romans in chapter 8, verse 22, where he says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning or, or panting, uh, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. So some think that Paul and the preacher, Solomon, are both referring to the fallen nature of, of all creation, right? It's the, it's the curse. Uh, they're both referring back to Genesis. And, and there's a, an undercurrent. There seems to be an undercurrent of that in, in these verses, in, in these observations that um, Solomon is making. So despite the beauty that we see in creation, with the, the sunrises and the sunsets and, and, and the clouds and, and the night sky and, and, and the mountain ranges off in the distance and, and, and the deserts, yes, believe it or not, there's beauty in, in deserts and, and, and the prairies and the, the trees and plants and flowers that we have, all the way down to, to the little, uh, uh, the, to the animals and, and the insects. Um, Solomon knows that things are just not right with these things. That even creation itself has been affected by the fall. He seems to be aware of that. In other words, it's not Eden anymore, is it? A world isn't Eden anymore. Verse 6, the wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, around and around the wind goes the wind, and on its circuit the winds returns. Uh, another example of the endless cycle uh, of activity in, in creation. Verse 7, all streams flow to the sea, but the sea is not full. Did you ever think about that? I don't know. I, I never did. But uh, uh, And to the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So he, he's talking about the water cycle here, which, which I think is pretty amazing. Solomon, you know, way back, like 3,000 years ago, was aware of the water cycle that we have. And we, we think we're, uh, you know, so smart with our science here. 
So he knows that the water or the snow falls from the sky and flows back into the ocean only to do it all over again. Uh, you know, again and again and again. And he wonders, what is the point of all this as he observes? So the, the, the um, preacher, Solomon, ha has discovered that these cycles in his observation of nature, he, he discovers these cycles and he says, all is vanity. It's empty. It, it, and there's weariness into this endless circuit. Um, so, so what is his outlook? Uh, his outlook is that life goes on and we are lost in the meaninglessness of the universe. Okay, that, that's his outlook. Okay, you depressed yet? All right. So, with the first part of this poem, the preacher compares the apparent, uh, and I, I use that word um, purposely, the apparent unchanging nature of creation with the apparent monotony of life. And I say apparent because it all depends on how you look at it, right? The preacher is sharing observations and assessments. What, what was, what was the, um, the qualification that we used last, word, uh, last week? Under the sun, under the sun right? Uh, so uh, under the sun in Ecclesiastes means apart from God. Uh, it, it means uh, uh, without God in view. Uh, we, you know, the old timers might say a worldly uh, point of view. But what if we were to look at those things with a different perspective? What, what if we were to look at the, the generations of people who come and go and the, uh, the cycles of the sun and the wind and water? What, what if we were to look at those things from a heavenly perspective? Well, first of all, where the preacher sees endless monotony, we can take great comfort uh, in the steady consistency of, of things. Um, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm pretty happy with the sun coming up and going down every day in, in a consistent way uh, at the same time and place each day, uh, according to the seasons, of course. Um, even if I've only actually seen the sun a few times since we've moved up here. Um, <laughs> Where's Edie? I complained about that a, a few weeks ago, and she, it, it, this is how sympathetic she was. She said, stop complaining. Okay. So she said it with love. Ah. So I'm also pretty happy that the sun stays about 93 million miles away, okay? So if it's any closer or any, any further, we, we either freeze or we get fried. All right, so I'm pretty happy with that, the consistency of that. And, and I'm pretty happy that we're, we're spinning happily in a, a 365 and a quarter day or um, year, uh, day orbit around the planet, I mean, around the sun, and, and we're not getting flung off into outer space. Okay, I don't know, are you guys pretty happy with that? All right, so. Um, I, I'm, I'm comforted by that. It's not like I think about it every day. Oh, I'm wondering what's going to happen with the earth. You know, but when you do think about it, 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 it um, there's comfort in that. There's peace. And um, we could say to the preacher, well, God meets those needs, right? We, we don't often think about those as, as things as needs. 
We need not to worry about the sun and the wind and the water, you know, unless you're a farmer, but um, they're always there. In other words, we might have some drought and we might have some wet seasons, but the, the sun, the wind, and the water isn't going anywhere. There's, there's consistency to that. And of course, we know from Hebrews 1.3 that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of His mouth. So Jesus promises the universe is in His hands, and we can take comfort that, in that. And not only that, we know as believers, we know that God can break through the consistency of nature. Uh, he can even defy the so-called laws of nature, uh, the laws of physics, uh, the laws of thermodynamics. Well, He can defy them because, oh, I don't know, He made them, right? Uh, amen? So, and we know that God hears and answers prayer, and, and, and He defies nature on behalf of His people. Uh, some examples in the Bible. God held the sun in place so that Joshua could win, Joshua could win an important battle from, from Joshua 10. He held the sun in place. And, and God moved the sun back as a sign to King Hezekiah in, in Isaiah 38. Um, Exodus 14, God opened the Red Sea. Uh, Joshua 3 and 4, uh, he opened the Jordan River uh, for his people, Israel. Uh, God turned off the rain and then turned it back on again for Elijah. Uh, we, we read about that in Kings chapter 17. And, and of course, he calmed the wind and the waves for the disciples uh, that we read about in, in Mark. And, and in the future, uh, God will use the forces of nature to bring judgment uh, to people on this earth. So God defies uh, nature. He can break into this, um, this apparent monotony. And, and how many of us have experienced answers to prayer where, where there's no explanation other than it was a miracle? It, it, was, it was supernatural. Yeah, Tia, raise your hand. I mean, most of us know someone who has been miraculously healed, Right? Uh, most of us have been provided for in, in some miraculous way. There's, there's just no other explanation. Uh, one, one year we, got, uh, we were in um, a, a bad economic situation and we received $500 in the mail. Just out of the blue. Cash. cash. Oh yeah, who sends cash in the mail? Okay. There, there was no return address, uh, nothing. It, and, and, and it met our need right there. Uh, another time... Uh, I think we were telling the, the Clemensteins last week, we, we received two full pellets, I mean two full pallets of wood pellets. Okay, the, the big truck showed up, and my wife thought, you know, you're in the wrong place, because uh, my husband's been searching around forever looking for wood pellets, and they just don't exist. Um, so this truck shows up with wood pellets, and she had to make sure uh, they were for us, and the guy's like, yeah, it's for you, you know, 461 Ellis Road, blah, blah, blah. So she was so excited, you know, she goes into the house, and she's bringing out, you know, snacks for them, and, and drinks, and, and, and we, we still, to this day, we have no idea where these wood pellets came from. So the, the backstory behind that is I had just installed the pellet stove, but everybody else did too, and, and there were no pellets, there were no pellets anywhere. 
I, I mean, all over eastern Massachusetts and Rhode Island, I could not find pellets. So uh, they came from Home Depot, the truck, but where they came from beyond that, I, I have no idea. And then um, I mentioned in the past the sale of our house. All right, it sold the first day it was offered up for market at, at $10,000 more than what we had asked for. I wouldn't have bought it. I mean, I, I was glad to get rid of it. But, but anyway, um, God breaks through nature. Uh, he, he causes miracles, and, and um, so that, that, that's the point. Um, and these things can't be explained by, you know, the random chance coincidence thing. Amen? They just can't. So obviously that's a little bit different view from the view that, the Sol that Solomon has right now uh, under the sun, or that, what he's talking about. But apart from God, you know, looking at things through the world's eyes, if the universe just randomly appeared and, and consists entirely of matter, right? That's, that's what we often hear, uh, where there's no room for the supernatural, where there's no room for God, uh, then what does anything matter? Nothing really matters. Uh, we're all just random collections of atoms, right? I mean, and we're living in a closed system. It's unchangeable. It's uninterruptible. You know, there's, there's no answers to prayers. Uh, there's no miracles, which leads to no hope. And, and that's the viewpoint of many people in our world today, and, and that's, that's the viewpoint of life under the sun. So moving on, Solomon then observed uh, that the, the meaningless of life is not only reflected in nature, uh, the frustration is also evident in, in human effort, human endeavors. Uh, despite all of man's working, despite his labor, uh, his seeing and his hearing, he's still not satisfied. The preacher says in verse 8, all things, all that we do, are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled or satisfied, uh, the, nor the ear filled with hearing. Our, our endeavors run in circles and, and have no fruition. Uh, verse 9, what has been said, I mean, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Verse 9, man, man has endless labor but seems never to accomplish anything. Uh, you know, one example of that is, is we have more time-saving devices than ever, yet we're always complaining we never have enough time. I mean, so the, the, there's nothing, uh, people, are, uh, more, people are busier than ever before. Verse 10, Solomon continues, is there, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It, is already, it has been already in the ages before us. I mean, people talk about the good old days and, and the way things used to be, right? Well, well Solomon is saying, no, th there's nothing new. It, it's still the same. Nothing really changes. 
Uh, I came across this quote from Socrates, the, the Greek philosopher. All right, so this is like 399 BC. He says, the children of his day love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority, and disrespect for their elders. I mean, so <laughs> that was whatever, 2,400 years ago. And we say the same thing, except nowadays uh, I would include adults in that too, <laughs> um, if you turn on the news. So sure, there, there are new inventions, there are new gadgets, there's, there's new toys, but the point is there, there's nothing new of lasting significance or, or lasting importance. There's nothing new from the viewpoint of human wisdom under the sun uh, that can shake Solomon's conclusion that everything is meaningless. So it, it, even man's search for meaning in the spiritual realm, uh, the, the same philosophical fads are, are rehashed over and over again. Uh, the, this New Age thought, this so-called New Age thought that's prevalent, uh, it, it is, it's not really new. It, it's a mishmash of elements from Hinduism and, and uh, Zen Buddhism, which are themselves offsprings of the vain philosophies and the false teachings that we read about in the New Testament, which are themselves offsprings of what we read about in the Old Testament with all the idolatries they have going all the way back to Adam and Eve who thought they had a new way of um, pushing God aside. So there really is nothing new under the sun in that respect. As men search for new ways of looking at life, they stumble onto the same philosophical thoughts and arguments that have been pondered and hashed out since the beginning. Uh, and what they find, uh, what they think might be new and novel to them, uh, or, or hip and cool, it's just, it, it's not new. It's just something that's been rehashed. And finally, Solomon ends his poem, which also serves as an introduction uh, to his search with a view towards history. In verse 12, there is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to, yet to be among those who come after. I, um, it, it, I came across this uh, statistic. It's estimated that up until now, roughly 107 billion people have lived. Okay, since Adam and Eve up until now, roughly 107 billion people have lived. So out of those 107 billion people, how many have made a lasting and positive impact on humanity? So I was thinking, if, even if we all got together as a church and you know, we argued and debated about it, um, um, and, and came up with 100 people, let's just say we, we came up with 100 people, that's about one for every billion people. Now let me put it another way. That's one-tenth of a millionth of one percent of all the people. Okay, one-tenth of a millionth of one percent of all the people remembered uh, for having had a lasting impact on humanity. So, the, so that number is just like 
minuscule. So, so furthermore, the, the futility of life seems to extend in both directions, all right? both, both into the past and into the future, he's saying. Man works hard, yet never seems to make a lasting difference. And, and it's all simply forgotten. Now, if I were to ask you what's new, uh, what would you say? I know often we use that as a form of greeting. Hey, what's new? And often the answer is, ah, oh, nothing. <laughs> or not much. Okay, but, but for the Christian, um, we should have a different answer, right? For the believer, for those who have placed their faith in Christ, you can't say nothing. You can't say not much if you really think about it. Uh, you can't say nothing and you shouldn't say nothing. I mean, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, you are a new creation. Amen? Uh, from 2 Corinthians. And being in Christ, you can now walk in newness of life. Amen? Um, from Psalm 43, you can sing a new song. Another amen. We, we can sing a new song. Uh, Hebrews 10.20, and enter into God's presence by a new and living way. All right, one more amen. amen. All right. And then one more thing. Being a new creation in Christ affords us a new way of looking at things and gives us a new hope. Uh, we, we still see, yes, all right, I admit, we still see and experience the sometimes, oftentimes, harsh realities of life here, or of life under the sun. However, one day, we're going to enjoy a new heaven and a new earth, Revelations 21. And that's when God says, Behold, I make all things new. Can we get another amen for that? All right, praise God. That's like amen to infinity right there. So a new heaven and a new earth. Behold, I make all things new. Praise God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we do thank You for that hope that we have in You that despite the apparent meaninglessness, uh, despite the sufferings that we do have, which are real, Lord, which we can't ignore. Lord, You are there, but not only, you are that, not only are You there, Lord, You are going to make all things new again. Lord, we look forward to that day. We look forward to that glorious day, Lord. We thank You, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.